Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural, urban, food producers, food consumers, anybody who's been misinformed. It's Tuesday. Jay Truett checking in from undisclosed location in Missouri. <laughs> Trent Luce in New Orleans. Andrew Henderson on the Cheshire Plains. No, I'm not. I'm in Bolton, Lancashire. Actually, actually, where are you? In Lancashire. We have no idea what he just said, Jay. What are you, yeah, none of that makes any sense <laughs> to any of us, Andrew. <laughs> I'm just well, thinking of the Cheshire Plains. That's yeah, what I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I wish I'd taken some, I wish I'd taken some photographs as I went through industrial Bolton this morning about an hour ago because, um, it would have, it would have uh, certainly lifted Trent's eyelids. That's all I'll say. It may, may not you may not have done with you, Jay, but with Trent, I think it would have been a little bit more than he could stomach. The centerpiece of Bolton, Lancashire, which is was the bedrock of the Industrial Revolution, right in the centre of it, is now a gilded mosque. That's all. Oh wow! A massive gilded wow. mosque. A massive gilded mosque, and the the whole dome is gilded in in gold. Wow, it's incredible. No, that and, that um, kind of amazes me as well, because I have been through yeah. there, you know. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, are, are you talking single, about like castration, person. gilded, They're like a gelding? Well, no, like gold laid, no, gold no, no. laid, <laughs> like castrated. Gold I don't. Know. <laughs> How do you, you know castrate a mosque? <laughs> Well, they're little tiny. They're little tiny guys. You got to get somebody to help you hold their wings. <laughs> oh, you said mosque, not moth. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, I don't think I don't think Trent, I don't think Trent's joking. But there you go. Uh, <laughs> it was it was pe- it was, pe- it, was pe- it was painted it painted in gold leaf, and it is. I'll give you an example of how big it is. The dome would be half the size of an American football pitch. There you go. Oh wow, that's a lot of gold. Yeah, and every I I I, I passed. I'm going to say, and I'm not exaggerating here. I passed maybe a hundred women coming out in and out of shops, and I never saw one of their faces. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't there know why if there's just geldings in the area. Hey, yeah. uh, and speaking of geldings, I'm in New Orleans for the racehorse uh, convention, uh, the yeah. National oh, Horsemen's yeah. Benevolent Protection Association, and UK horse racing came up yesterday, Andrew. Uh-oh. It's just just so you yeah just so you know Andrew it's not a good thing when you come up at that meeting. <laughs> uh, okay, well, first of all, I am not a horse racing uh, administrator, although I am a very very keen horse racing follower. So uh, I don't I don't know whether you both know that, but I have a history of following horses right back from my father because. We have been involved in feeding some very, very famous horses, nearly as famous as one that you will both know, Seabiscuit. Oh, my yeah. The famous well, is that right? My father, well, my father fed the famous Red Rum 
you look that up, I think uh, Seabiscuit and Red Rum would be the two most yeah. famous horse, race, horse racing horses in the world. And I have Red Rum's horseshoe in my lot. So there you wow. Go. That's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's just so cool. I am plain very and simple. In the, in the history of um of uh, of uh, horse racing. In fact, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine has just bought a thoroughbred that's doing rather well at the moment and it's called Super 6. And uh, he told me it was going to bigger win a big race and uh, as you do, he's been telling me that his horse is going to win a big race for a long time. But he told me this last Saturday, said, get your money on. It's on the TV. I didn't get my money on, and it won by 12 lengths. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, was that horse anyway. named Red Roan, Andrew? Rum. 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 It won the biggest. It, it, run, it won. Listen to this, Trent. It won the most famous steeplechase three times. Like you've got to remember that each time this race is run, there's up to 40 runners, and uh, it's not like American uh, racing where um, uh, the best horse wins. If the horse gets really good, it just gets more weight on its back until it loses. This thing, uh, so it's called a handicap, so that every horse is handicapped to cross the winning line at the same time, and it's a four and a half mile race over huge, great fences, and one of them is was about seven and a half feet tall now, right it's made out of uh, it's called the, the the grand national it won the grand national in 19 uh i think it was 1972 and then in 1973 and then in 1974 it came second in 1975 it came second and in 1976 it didn't run because it was ill and in 1977 it had a top weight Every bookie or bookmaker, the people that that, that uh, invite people to bet, made it favorite because it was the housewife's favorite, and they said if it did win, it would bankrupt the book the bookmakers. And it's the only horse I know that bankrupt the bookmakers because it did win, and I had a lot of yeah. money on it in those days, and I did very very well at it. But my father fed it free for the rest of its life. And it outlived him by 10 years. So there you go. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's just an amazing story. It is. And the part you and left out was he was seven when they started that. The horse was seven. Yeah. You've got to remember. Oh, and also, I'll tell you lots of things about him. He used to love. Do you have polo mints in the, in the United States? you know what they are? Not that sure. we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, though. The answer is <laughs> okay. yes. Okay. The answer is yeah. Well. This, this horse was fixated on polo mints, but it also had it, it, it run. Now, here's another really key thing that you should know about this horse. You, you remember the famous jockey, Lester Piggott? Would you, you, yeah. I don't think Trent would know, but you'd know, wouldn't you, Jay? Mm-hmm. Would you, you sure. know Lester Piggott? Most famous yes. ever English jockey. Well, he rode Red Rum when it was a flat horse before it became a horse over the jumps. And it, he, he came second on it and said it was a very good prospect. But the problem was that the horse got a, a problem with its legs that meant that the muscle kept, kept withering away. It was like a, a hereditary problem. And, you know, the only way they could build this horse up when it became a steeplechaser was to, to train it on the sands sand. of Southport Beach. So yep. on the sand. So it never. And so the other thing that's incredible is that it would go all, it won the Scottish Grand National as well, 
but it, it would go all over the country in, in what I would call average races and come nowhere. But every year it went to this to entry where there's, you know, 50 to 100,000 people there. And as soon as it knew where it was, it became a different horse. It was one of those unbelievable stories of a horse that uh, became so famous. And, you know, no matter what they, what weight they put on the horse's back, it still kept going. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, and all is, of that is... I, I would say it is as famous... You know, as... Finish your sentence. No, I just say, I, I think that in the UK it is more famous than Seabiscuit, but I know the Seabiscuit story as well, which again is another story about a horse that had injuries and came back and, and proved the world wrong, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. So the reason that we talked about, that's all an interesting story. Glad we went there, Andrew. But the reason that the uh, UK horse racing came up in our conversation yesterday is there is a push to chip the horses running in the United States now. Put a chip in them. Well, uh, I don't know whether you've seen the comments from our um, uh, health, health secretary that have been caught on there. Uh, on his WhatsApp, these hundred thousand WhatsApp, but uh, believe it or not, I don't. I don't think you should be worried about that. More than half our population has been chipped. I think. Yeah. The conversations I'm seeing. Yeah, I because, don't. Uh, he's saying that, that that they use the vaccines to chip people. But anyway, just saying. Um, I, I have uh, no doubts. You're right about that. I, I have no doubts that the veterinary uh, community have been doing this unknowingly as well. Uh, that I might question whether they're doing it uh, against anybody's knowledge, but it's roll route. We will take a break. We'll be back with who knows what discussion after this. Today I want to talk about a beef system, a beef system that works extremely well for the producer and in particular for the consumer. We're coming to a time when the amount of food, the quality of the food, and the benefit nutritionally of the food is more important than ever. Certified Piedmontese is working with a network of cattlemen in the Great Plains of America to provide not only beef these days, we have a plethora of protein available. Lean beef, that would be tender. We're talking about the tenderness aspect, but there's Wagyu available as well at the website. CertifiedPiedmontese.com and even... Some amazing pork sausages. All the protein you could ever want in one spot. CertifiedPiedmontese.com. Get details today. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside Jay Truitt, Andrew Henderson. And uh, the only other thing I want to for sure get in is uh, I had some light bulb moments yesterday as uh, repeating. I'm in New Orleans at the National Horseman's Benevolent Protection Association. It's easier to say that than to say the HPBA, HBPA. See, I can't even say it when I'm thinking about it. Right. But, uh, you know, back in the day when I was fighting nationally to keep horse slaughter, we were fighting Jay Truett. The Jockey Club. Yeah. And I always, and I never understood why are the thoroughbred people so against this? And I thought it was because they were using illegal compounds and they didn't want it to, to get inside of a meat plant and actually see what's going on. And I now figured out that the thoroughbred folks are not the problem. It's the Jockey Club. And the Jockey Club is controlled by Arabian sheiks. 
and because they throw all of their money into it and they want U.S. horse racing to continue to be the sport of kings. And so they try to demoralize everybody other than the elite because they don't want some hayseed to have a thoroughbred that beats them like me. Well, again, it's kind of it's it's kind of back to that red rum story, right? Or and yeah, and, yeah, it is. And it literally, I, I ran into that up on Capitol Hill. Uh, I ran into Bob Barker, who yep. uh, people that remember Bob Barker, game show famous game show host in Where the United did he grow States. Up, Jake? Uh, uh, you know, uh. I sh- I think I know that, and I just can't recall the information. Yeah, when I say you're going to say, oh yeah, the Rosebud Indian Reservation. Yeah, no, that's right. See, mm-hmm. so I, uh, he and I were on opposing sides of of a, a different issue at the time related to animal uh, rights and welfare. He was there uh, to hire a new lobbyist for uh, uh, PETA, I believe, directly yes. was involved in that process. And and it well, was funny. Well, just to clarify, Bob Barker was the one who threw millions of dollars into working with animal rights organizations to create more attorneys for animal rights. Right. And so it was. I I found wow. it amazing. I he goes, uh, uh, we're trying to be civil, and we're having a v- pretty disagreeing conversation. But we were trying to be civil, and uh, he is just a nice guy. He really is, and or was. I think he's passed now. But he, he did. The, yeah. But with that said, he was, again, we were having a civil conversation, and uh, he said, well, what else are you working on? And I said, well, you know, we're just trying to do some things that are good for cattlemen, but we're also working on horse slaughter. I suppose that's one of your issues, too. And he said, no, I don't have royal blood, so I wasn't invited to that party. Oh, and wow. I and I thought uh, it you could you could feel the disdain in his just the his statement, you know, for all the people that were involved in supporting that. And uh, I just thought, wow, oh, wow. Right. Um, a guy that by any measure in the United States was a celebrity. Absolutely. Right. Which in the United States, since we don't really have royal families um that he would be perceived as one of the royals right celebrities yeah. replace the royals and <laughs> it was just uh it, it was just one of those things that happened and i go wow you know they didn't even they wouldn't even let that guy in the room because he's a hayseed from the middle of nowhere um, um and again so- to your point born on a reservation in america that doesn't make him royal anything and the guy who financed that whole campaign on horse slaughter just his estate just sold last week. Did you see that? Uh, I did not. T Boone Pickens. Yeah, no his his wife was very active in that oh, for sure. Madeline, Holy I had, cow! I, I had her on the air two times. She's a whack job for real. She was born in yep. Baghdad, Iraq. By the way, I find it interesting. Yep. Can I? Can I? Can I, can I can somebody, might... go on. I well, well, I find it interesting that America's wealthy oil man, his wife is a blonde born in Baghdad, Iraq. That's interesting. But when you look at what his place was, it sold for 270 million. 
which was 60 million less than they've been asking. It's been on the market since he passed like four years yeah. ago. Yeah, that's what I was going to say a and, while and they, now. And they took it, they took a, a price for 60 million less than they were asking. But if you look at what's in this thing, it's it's bigger than a royal palace. It's mm-hmm. unfreaking believable. Yeah, I I uh, I, I watched oh, one of those uh, miss- video tours. Uh, what yeah, do you even no. do? Is, isn't this a, isn't this about uh, exactly the same parallel as John Kerry and his family that they're tied to the uh, the uh, Saudi and the Arab country leaders? These things are all all. You know, there's a pattern to all this ownership and power, isn't there? Well, I, I think it's, John Kerry's not born that. He married that, no, correct? No, but he... Yeah. Yeah, but... Correct. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that they... Twice. What they've tried to do... Sorry. But they bring money into... They bring Arabian money into their, into their domain. That's what I'm trying to say. So that's... Uh, they're bringing kingdom money into their into their regime, aren't they? That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true story. These people then, you know, these people then do things for their masters. That's how I would describe that. Well, so T- <laughs> interesting. Interestingly enough, you know, T Boone Pickens also probably uh, he may own as many oil well uh, as many uh, windmills in the United States as anybody. Right. Um. And I mean, so he. While I know, I I will I will buy into the fact that obviously he had some close ties to someone in uh, uh, the Middle East, just because, uh, again, his wife um, of many years was uh, was clearly not from Ardmore, Oklahoma, right? I mean, <laughs> she just wasn't. because oh, <laughs> Jay, I, I, Jay, it gets better. Not only was she not from Ardmore, Oklahoma, when I interviewed her, she lived with her twin sister in San Diego, not with T. Boone Pickens in Texas. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that's what I was going to say. And it, what I started to say was that because normal people live in Ardmore, it's just a, a, a great example of Americana, right? And you wouldn't find her there. You'd have to go to the, you have to go to the West Coast and, and hang out with the, uh, Hollywood elite, right? Which is yeah. where she got connected to the quote unquote yeah. American royals, you know. But I, yeah. yeah, back back to that, back to what what kind of started us down this road, though. I mean, I I, I do think it's kind of funny that you you can start seeing these ties between um that the establishments of other countries and the establishments of the United States. When when we were battling on horse slaughter, and Trent, you remember this? Absolutely. It, was the, it, it, it literally was the most uh, most interesting. If you could step back away from your own personal passion uh, about the issue, it was the most interesting dynamic to observe from a lobbying standpoint because our opposition was really just as much GOP as it was uh, Democrat in the in the Congress. And then, and as a matter of fact, probably the most passionate supporters were actually on the Republican side, and it was because they were the re, they were the Republicans that had come from what I call establishment uh, legacy 
uh, families. Money. It's not even so much money, right? It is just literally that they had that title, and their grandfather had that title, and their great grandfather had yeah, a title. I, you I, know, I'm agreeing and, with you. Her, hereditary old money. Yeah, they yeah. Hereditary old money. Yeah, there, and there's two types of or successful human being. There's one that that, that that makes it, another one that takes it. And well, talking about there, the there's paid. another one involved in this. This the other one became famous by running beautifully on a beach in a sw- swimming suit. Yeah, and of course, then they the the spokesperson they hired was uh, Bo Derek, who uh, I think I've told you guys this story before, but we went in to have the very first meeting with Bo Derek, and uh, the the lobbyist I, I that you were in that. Oh, of course, I was going to go to the meeting, but we sat down at the meeting and the lobbyist that was running our uh, the shop I was in at the time uh, beside me, he elbows me and he goes, look, would you look at the way she just commands this room? And I said, yeah, he goes, and the other lobbyist on the other side of me elbows me and he goes, uh, in case you're wondering, we're about to get our ass kicked on this issue. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing I can do either. We got to go to a break. We'll be back with the second half after this. Well, I've been in communication with Roger Efforts, the Efforts Key Ranch. Bull sale is taking place on Thursday of this week, and they are going to make a recognition of pet efforts. That's Roger's father. He's 91 years old, 97, excuse me, and uh, we will we'll be talking about him on the Wall of Honor. The bull sale, he is going to make a donation to the Wall of Honor. That's why I'm talking about it here. What can we do locally to say thank you to folks who have sacrificed for us? Thewallofhonor.org is a great start. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside Jay Truitt, Andrew Henderson. Are we done with Bo Derek? Well, in some respects, maybe. Um, um, first, I I do have to repeat my story just because it has an interesting ending. Well, and my story is that in 2008, when this was really coming to a head, and Bo Derek was out there talking to Jay, I decided that I was going to literally, not just figuratively, literally go to DeKalb, Illinois. The reason DeKalb is significant, Andrew, is there was a horse plant in DeKalb, Illinois, that they're trying to shut down. And I was going to drive a a semi. I was going with the semi. I had a semi-truck driver lined up from Lemon, South Dakota. And we were going to stop along the way anywhere between DeKalb, Illinois, and Santa Barbara, California. And anybody who had a horse they didn't want, wanted to donate it to Bo Derrick, we're going to go dump them in her yard. Yeah. And I, you have told me the story. Good story. Yeah, and I, I promoted this and had national sponsors. I mean, people nationally, every from the entire country, individuals said, "I want to help. I want to throw in some money." I had everything lined out until the day the Santa Barbara sheriff called me and said, "Mr. Luce, I understand that you plan to come into my county for a visit. I want to let you know that uh, Bo Derek's not in town right now. She's in Europe for the next two weeks. But I also want you to know that if you come into my county." And bring anything and leave it, you'll be a resident of my county. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I still went to Illinois because, ironically, that that was the same week 
that the Illinois state legislature was going to address and, and try to ban horse slaughter in Illinois, which they ultimately did. And so I gathered up 200 horses, took them to the Illinois state capitol the day I went to testify, and we promoted this. Okay, we can't take them to Bo Derrick, so we're bringing them to the Illinois state capitol. And we opened the trailer, and 200 stick horses came out. There was a group of kids coming out of the state capitol in Springfield. Yeah. We gave every kid a stick horse. It was fantastic. Yeah, that is fun. That's yeah. just pure fun, right? Because that yeah, and that's a great it's a great it's a great way to kind of almost prove a point too, right? That we uh, people people love those things when they think that they're just a pet, but they, you know, we. So part of the part of the real discussion here, and the reason this story never stops being relevant, honestly, I believe, is because. It's another example of where we got told a big lie Absolutely. and we bought it in the United States. And uh, my family used to have an interest in the in the White Horse Ranch in Fields, Oregon, which um, spent about a third of the year every year battling wild horses that roamed across the Teton um, uh, uh, ranges. And, you know, it, it, if you. Listen, if you uh, if you uh, uh, look at when horses arrived uh, arrived in the United States, they nobody uh, you know showed they didn't have one here originally. They're not a native species. They never were a native species, and somehow or another, we've turned them into this idyllic creature that is a part of Americana. Mm-hmm. And I come from a cattle family, right, where horses were an essential tool of the everyday trade. My father is probably one of the best horsemen that I've ever known, and we held some of the the best bloodlines in in the U.S. quarter horse industry as our just stable, you know, for a long time. But come on, you, it's like saying that the wheel was invented in the United States. It wasn't. It's never. It wasn't a part of America until a European arrived. No, you shouldn't be admitting that on air. Not in. Yeah. Not in trends company. No, no. No. I got to give him the China <laughs> invented the wheel. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we. But I mean, the re. The reality <laughs> is. <laughs> That's awesome, the, Trent. That's awesome. The, the reality, <laughs> the reality of this whole conversation is that we we just never seem to to learn our lesson, uh, you know, folks, about being punked on issues. Yeah, and and somebody spinning it to the point that you you know you accept it as lies, fact. Lies are big business. That's true. I mean, you know, I. I they are lies. Uh, I've now realized that lies have become big business. By the way, I've got one of those mugs, by the way, now. You know, Trent, since when did you invite a famous baseball coach onto this show anyway? <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Jay and I'm thinking, I wonder what team he actually coaches during the day. But anyway, the loose team. <laughs> the loose team. <laughs> yep. Hey, yeah. I have more loose tails mugs uh, if you'd like one, folks. Get a hold of me. <laughs> Phenomenal. They're bigger than English. The best. They're, they're bigger than any British mugs, I have to say. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. Everything's yeah. bigger and better in the United States. Yeah. Well, not not so sure about that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're more overweight than uh, everyone else. Yeah, that's a man. I'll tell you what: going out into public and going to a place like New Orleans, this this weight, this girth situation has gotten yeah. out of hand in three years. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we, uh, I actually, <laughs> I actually am going on a diet. Literally after I got out in public uh, recently, and I just really looked at what society looks like. I thought, oh, man. I don't want to be that. I think I fit into that crowd, so I'm gonna. I've I've actually started. Uh, uh, a modest, uh, modest plan to slowly trim down. Holy cow! You're right. It's an epidemic it, in America. It's, it's severe. It's you know truly what, severe. You know what, Can I give you an advantage? A, a bit of advice, although it's not very good coming from me. But perhaps you could use a smaller mug. Okay. Uh, no, this is no. it's just coffee. <laughs> coffee, oh, coffee God. accelerates your metabolism. It's part of the weight control oh, program. So a bigger mug helps you. Yeah, but hang on, Trent. You are the gospel on what how to look after yourself. How is your girth getting bigger? How can that happen? How how what? How well, your he's girth Trent's get not any bigger. Trent's the same I'm size the same as size I remember. As I was yeah, years ago. thirty years ago, right? The first yeah. time I met uh, him, he looked the same. Uh, yeah, he. Because you know, Trent, you know that, he can that, preach. That, 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 Let him preach. Okay, fair enough. Because I I can't preach because. Fair yeah, enough, I'll, no, me I'll neither. Because he looks, he, he looks, he looks in really good condition. Because when you get in your sixties, it gets hard. Anyway, yeah. so let's carry on and let's discuss <laughs> this situation well, about now. Well, I have a, a definite spur. It's like you know we're staying in the horse discussion. My spur is a twenty-five-year-old okay. daughter who constantly monitors what I eat because she knows I'm getting to be 60 because she goes to a hospital every day where people are, she's losing faith in humanity because people don't want to eat right. They want a pill to fix what they screw up in their body. And yeah. so yeah, th this week, Libby and I, our discussion was all about the balance between omega sixes and omega threes and how there's nothing wrong with omega six, but you can't have significantly more omega six in your diet than omega threes. And most of what people are eating is the omega six fat, which is leading to an expanding girth. And if they were market hogs, they'd be overdone. You'd get docked. Yeah. And the, the beautiful thing about how it's always a small world is come to find out Libby's now my diet dietitian as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to, I'm going to have to let my mustache grow just a little bit out and I'll be wearing a black hat and pretty soon I'll look just like Trent. I'm, I'm hoping I'll get taller. <laughs> no, she is, she's a, she's a, she truly is a beautiful young lady. Yeah, no, but yes, Libby yes. is a it, Libby yes. is a special uh, so and beautiful young woman. <laughs> so was the postman. Anyway, I didn't hear uh, Andrew on that one. Probably didn't uh, he was trying to make he was trying to make fun of us for uh, being twins or something, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, by the way, just just uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm really pleased that you found uh, the right dietitian. Perhaps when, once it works for you, I might try it as well. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. think she's available for hire. So you'll take that up with Libby. Sure. I don't know how much say in her life. I don't think, I don't think Kai's going to come into it anymore. Though. 
just nah, saying, no. Guys. Yeah, no. I, maybe. I may have a problem. No, oh, but you can't. You can't. You can. You just. It's. It's a, called a ribeye and pork chop pie. Uh, oh right, okay. That's and so basically, good. what that is is two really thin, flaky crusts, and a, on top of a ribeye and a pork chop, and then you just eat that, and it's perfect. I'm, uh, I did. Libby didn't recommend that. That's just in my new diet. So, I, just to be fair, <laughs> the only thing that Libby just can't get through her dad's head because her dad loves potatoes. I'm a potato guy. She doesn't right. like potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then, of course, yeah. when you when you fry them, and I said, Libby, look, the problem with fried foods is that we typically use vegetable oil, and the polymers in the vegetable oil are contributing to the omega six problem. If we just eat all of our fried foods in lard or beef tallow, we'd be okay. Yeah, yeah, and she's no winning with you. Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> you know, I already know ahead of time what her response to that was, uh, but. It, the the reality is though i mean the one thing that you do get from a conversation with somebody that um um uh, has something other that than my, no so my my experience with dietitians in the no my dietitians in the past um uh, my experience with them has mostly been from like Tufts university cool. oh yeah well and and truthfully it's kind of being influenced by them probably hurt me more than anything in the world they're the li- most liberal oh, yeah, mediterranean mediterranean diet folks that you can possibly you know have in your mix and then you sit down and you have a conversation with libby who looks at all foods objectively right and she's not really she doesn't come from some particular bias i mean even to probably her dad's dismay from time to time She's not overly influenced by anything he ever told her. She just really yeah. looks at the facts and goes on. And I had a real, I had a real interesting conversation with her about amino acids and you know the different ones, et cetera, et cetera. And in like 15 minutes, I it, it occurred to me that it's it's just like this really refreshing moment when somebody will talk to you and they're not trying to give you some political. Uh, direction they're trying to actually tell you how the human body works and what makes it happen you know what makes it do what and it's no different than you andrew you you do the same thing for animals on a daily basis right i mean that's your your basic mission in uh, life i i I gotta break this up we're over time we'll be back the last segment of roll route right after this tomorrow parodic auctions selling that south dakota ranch near belfouche south dakota parodic auctions.com check it out five thousand acres nice ranch welcome back roll route trent loose Alongside Jay Truitt, Andrew Henderson, there's one dietitian. Do not call a a diet nutritionist or a dietitian a nutritionist. Never make that mistake. I'm just saying everybody right here now. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) No, but the the (laughs) but the but the same the same basic the same the same thing that has been going going on in the world of dietitians would be is the same as. Uh, a nutritionist in the animal industry, and I'm not correlating the two except from an uh, from an analogy standpoint, uh, only pimping the products that come from their company, whether yeah. they're good, bad, or or indifferent for your for your animal ration, right? Instead of actually um, 
you can also talk to a nutritionist that will tell you exactly what the rations should look like from a component standpoint, and then they look and see if they where to source that later, right? There's two different ways to go about that. Well, I, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. I totally agree with you. That's why my company's called Independent Feeds, because we yeah. weren't going to tie ourselves to any manufacturer of any raw material in fact i'll go further than that there are people that i used to trade with because they tried to show me science that made sense but i now know doesn't make sense right and i no longer trade with them i think it's really really important that as nutrition evolves and different um things come to light that you do retain that integrity of uh advising as much as you can with up to up to date nutritional information and um I, I really do think that that's the, the core of everything. The other thing is that genetics change. Um, yeah. What you're trying to achieve with um, an animal may change as well. And so, uh, you know, different diets for different systems. I, I totally agree with you on that. And that's why sometimes the messenger, and if, if I'm a nutritionist, I'm a messenger to a farmer. The truth is that not every nutritionist can practice what they preach. Yeah. Um, and that's the truth. And those uh, things you have to take into consideration. Andrew, you brought up something that I often ponder, and I don't think I agree with you. Nutrition okay. has not changed since my grandfather was born in 1918. Nutrition is exactly the same. Environment changes, but the no. basic well, nutrition is still at the core. No, but, no. no. Yeah, well, but, I, well, I can give you a, a good example of why that's different. When I yeah, started but selling to a nutrition to a dairy cow, the dairy cow weighed 650 kilos, and that's about 1,200 pounds. Now, now that we're looking at uh, 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 1,600, 1,700 pounds. And uh, to get the milk constituents right, to get the fertility right, the, the ratios did slightly change because of the, the improvement in genetics. Absolutely changed. Don't, don't, don't you that think, is though? true, though. You know. Don't you think, though, Trent, that what we've uh, what what we generically knew that we had learned just from experience at some point in the past that now we we've we've kind of gone through the full circle that we we tried to convince ourselves that we had a better answer. But now when you really talk to the people that are good at their craft in that world, all, it is that they really understand now the components of what was going on inside that animal and the different micro ingredients and the balances and and the ratios between all of those things, uh, et cetera. What I mean, what my my well, point yeah, here no, 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 in this said, we've also been able to we've also been able to improve the quality, not just the quantity, but the quality yeah. of grown crops. So that has a different effect on the me- uh, metabolic. Uh, digestion through a dairy cow or or a, or a horse or whatever the animal might be. We, are, right. we, you know, it used to be they'd take one cut of grass here in the UK, they now take five. It's very different food. Yeah, so there's a different way the but body the, reacts to that. The availability so, you know, of the nutrients is. is what you're talking about. I'm talking about what the body needs for healthy living, and I don't think it matters if it's a dairy cow or a human being. 
nutrition hasn't changed for healthy living. We understand how nutritional components work better, but you're reformulating yeah. the diet because the cow's bigger or because the grass is different with available nutrition. The body and the, at the cellular level is no different in its nutritional needs today than it was in 1918. I think I, well, I agree with that, but I just think that there is, um, uh, I think that the difference is, and again, this is kind of the point that, that I, or the place of reference that I came from in the first place was that instead of us believing absolute truth and, and insert being in search of absolute truth, we've watched as the United States of America has led the world in misinformation about what was important from a nutrition standpoint to the human body. And it was because of people who had agendas. Right. Some of them in the food industry. A lot of them even in agriculture themselves, right, that got involved in, and perpetuated things that were just absolute lies. Some of them easy lies to tell. Some of them were difficult lies to tell, oh, but they I got told I, I nonetheless. And Jay, they took a long time to come out as being lies as well. Yeah. Could be, so back to, uh, An- yeah, that's Andrew's point. Infertility. Yeah. yeah. It's back to Andrew's point that lies are big money and yeah. big, and there was big money <laughs> yeah, that are. came from that. And you can't, re- you can't deny it now. This this whole yeah. concept over uh, uh, for the first part of the conversation that you end up having when you talk to somebody about a Mediterranean diet, as an example, and people that are uh, I I I spend a lot of time with a cardiac patient, right? So I hear this discussion all the time, and I go, "Which Mediterranean diet are you talking about?" Because there's about fifty, and and half of them are killing people. So I need you to I need you to talk to me about which one yeah. that you're really talk, talking about. Well, all you have to do is look yeah. at the health of the United States since 1977 yeah. and what cardiovascular disease yep. and cancer and diabetes have done since 1977. It has skyrocketed to the worst it could have ever been because the diet that has been suggested by the Health and Human Services and the USDA as Jay has just brought to the forefront was based upon an agenda and what Marine Nestle was selling next. Plain and simple. I I think that the last three years are going to prove to be the biggest example of that worldwide where it was pushing lies and uh, and that, that everything we've said, that's why there is so many correlations in all walks of life to the, the big lies that are being told now. Um, you know, it, 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 you develop a product and if it doesn't work, even if, it, if there's been too much money thrown at it, they'll tell you the lie anyway. That's, yeah. That seems to me the, the story here. And um, it's really, really scary because um, it's probably put back um, humanity decades, if not more than that, because of the lies that are being told continually. And what if, what, if we're if if we're honest though, Andrew, the truth is we know what we can we know that today we can find the truth. Yeah, you have absolutely. to look yeah, for it. It still falls upon the person to be a sheep instead of being a critical thinker. That's at the end of the day the real story. 
Amen. It is. And that, and that revolves around education as well, Trent. Yeah. A- amen again. Yeah. Well, church is not over. We still have three minutes left. I do have to I've already said in. amen twice. We have to end it there. Everybody has to go rush uh, to lunch. I am going to push water up a hill, and this is an extension of uh, across the pond. <laughs> but in every broadcast from now until whenever, I forget, I'm going to share that the Department of Interior issued an order, yeah. 3410 on Friday, 10-page order, but the one component I want to say is this. The best science shows returning bison to grasslands can enhance soil development, restore native plants and wildlife, and promote carbon sequestration. The nature and of this... And you send me that document. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, send me that document I, because I, will. I want to push the water with you. Uh, I don't know how far I'll get it up the hill, but I'm quite happy to try with you but here is the federal government in an official document saying that the ruminant animal is vitally important to soil health planet health and human health when they've been lying to us about the ruminant animal grazing and the products that come from it. this does not necessarily speak to the human health aspect but that's been a lie equally so yeah great and and this this is exactly why the data says that migratory birds use grazed land 17 times more frequently than non-grazed land. That's because the grazing keeps it healthy. That's simple. And sequesters carbon at the same time. And the more grazing you do, the more carbon it sequesters. It's that simple. Until the fire comes along and burns the ungrazed land and then everything goes south. And then again, the perfect uh, new bison is a cow. In the day's exactly. world, and, and I don't. If you want to have buffalo, Jay, I don't care. Yeah, it's fine. Sure, it's just a great they taste. Animal. Yeah, yeah, they taste marvelous. Yeah, so, I love awesome. It. <laughs> That's Andrew's new word of the day. He's trying to support one <laughs> word that was created in the United States. Awesome answer. Awesome in every sentence. Awesome. No, I Good. think it was Canada. I think I think you pinched that as well. I think that came from Canada. I'm not sure. It's uh, no, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm hey, no, that did not. Hey, hey, no, it did not. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm traveling to a farm now. I'm, I'm late for an appointment, so I'm actually traveling while I'm talking. And I'm telling you now that he's going to want to know what Trent has wanted to push up the hill because he sells milk in the old-fashioned way, which is on the milk trolley to all the local people in Bolton, Lancashire. He sell, he's got 112 milk floats that he sends out to all these chimneys around here. And he's going to want to know the truth about carbon sequestration and the dairy cow. Okay. I just forwarded you that, that 10 page article. It's not an article. It's an order. Thank Thank you. So I appreciate right. that because one minute, I really, you know, I really think that every, I think that everybody needs to tell that story. And uh, what we all, I'm also uh, in the throes of doing Trent, just so that you know, is I'm a, I'm in the throes of doing a trial. I'm about to do a trial to prove that as well. How about that? That's perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I'm, I've decided that we're going to work with a company in Europe here to try and show that grazed land and uh, uh, livestock farm farms are the solution to carbon sequestration and just how brilliant they are at returning plant food to the ground. I just forwarded it to both of you. 
well, there you go. So, um, I, and, and, you know, I couldn't be in a more metropolitan area at the moment. All right, we're, than, than I got to watch my clock. Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson, Trent Lewis, all three of us remind you, all roads do lead to a roll route.